This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. A preacher needs to be very well grounded in the, the church's intellectual tradition as a kind of background to being able to preach scripture well in a critically appreciative way of their own historical context. I don't know how you feel about this. We talked to Liam Gallagher a number of months ago about books on preaching, and we sort of didn't find a lot of books that we agreed on that were helpful for preaching. So it was it was useful for me to find a book by a theologian whom I greatly respect, and I know you do as well. It's, it's rare to find a theologian and a preacher who writes like this, isn't it? Don't you think? Yeah, there's a glut of books on preaching. Yep. And you might wonder why another book on preaching. Right, right, right. Beside the fact that it's by Herman Bovink, which just should be, you know, authoritative enough in its own right. It is for me. Um, we could ask the question, though, of how is this going to help us? And I think a lot of books on preaching are sort of predictable yeah. and maybe sometimes come off as gimmicky in some respect. And so to think that someone of Boving stature, we know him as a theologian, or at least we Anglophones most recently know him as a theologian, though his Dutch contemporaries would have known him as much more than that. And our guest today will talk yep. about that, I'm sure. Yeah, I want to introduce our guest. I think he'll shed some light on all this. So, uh, Dr. James Eglinton is the Meldrum Lecturer in Reformed Theology at New College, University of Edinburgh. And he has recently translated and edited a book entitled Herman Bovink on Preaching and Preachers. And so, Dr. Eglinton, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. We do have some questions for you. This is an exciting book for us. Sure. Thank you for having me. It's, it's great to be here. So, I just want to start and ask about the genesis of the book a little bit before getting into the meat of it. Uh, what was it that brought about your interest in Bavink on preaching? We do think of him as a theologian. In fact, both James and I use him for our classes, his theology books. But um, what was it that kind of led you down the road to studying his preaching and his writing on preaching? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, so I, I read Bavink in Dutch. And I spent three years working on the faculty in Kampen, which is a university in the Netherlands, the time where Bavink was a professor before he moved to Amsterdam. And when I was there, I discovered lots of untranslated publications far beyond the Reformed Dogmatics that were really interesting, including a number of publications on his preaching, which is something that his, his English-speaking readers don't really know about him, that he preached regularly for decades, that this was a, a big part of his, his work and his ministry. I was in the campaign for three years and then I was hired five years ago at the University of Edinburgh and I wanted to do something to keep up my Dutch. Uh, so I started to translate texts by Bavink for about half an hour a day, a couple of days a week and then started translating stuff on his preaching and then it kind of snowballed and then became a book. The more I translated this material, I thought this should get out there for preachers to read because so many preachers read Bavink's theology but they've never really had an example of what it looked like for him to take this kind of theology into the pulpit. So that's the genesis of the book. It's, uh, it's a long story condensed into a minute or two. Dr. Eglinton, let me ask a few questions about this because, again, as you mentioned, we think of Bavink as a theologian, mm. but you make the point in your introduction that he was, in fact, a preacher, that this isn't, mm. um, this isn't a book by someone who simply sat in the pew and then is offering a critique of the preachers that he heard, though he certainly had mm. definite opinions and likes and dislikes regarding preaching that he listened to. Um, yeah. Could you say something about Bavink as a preacher, uh, why we have so few sermons from him in terms of his style of preaching? And then I may have a follow-up after that. 
Yeah, certainly. So um, in Bavingstone context, as church culture, it was widely expected that preachers who are preaching well, preaching from Scripture, and who are filled with the Holy Spirit, should preach with minimal or no notes. So that was very normal in the culture that he grew up in. And that's a skill that he developed quite early on. So when he was a theology student and then um, progressing towards becoming a pastor, he preached almost all of the time on the same two texts, on Galatians 2.20 and on 1 John 5.4. So he preached the same sermon over, or the same two sermons over and over and over. Um, and that's the way that he learned to preach with, with almost no notes. Do we know how many times he did that? I mean, how many times did he preach those two sermons? He preached about 40-something times before he became a pastor, almost always on those two texts. On those two texts. Sometimes he would add in another text, but it was almost always on those two texts. So then when he became a pastor, he was he was the minister of a church for just over a year before he became a seminary professor. Um, it was a couple of Sundays into his pastorate that um, in his diary, he writes about preaching completely without notes for the first time. And he just writes the comment, went well. Um, <laughs> I, and I don't know exactly what that meant for him, that, how he'd gone about preparing it. We just don't know. Um, but because of this, he, he was busy doing so many other things. We, we don't have transcriptions of his sermons. The only one that we have, we have because it was preached in, in really interesting political circumstances. And then there was wide demand for the, the text to be written down and, and published. So uh, in his own notes about the sermon, at the beginning, you have something like, I've tried my best to remember everything I said when I preached, and I think this is a faithful record. And then he, he writes out his own recollection of his sermon. Uh, but because of that, we only have access to one um, one published sermon by Babbitt. When you approach Bob Inc. on preaching, you mentioned in your introduction sometimes a tendency to talk about two Bob Inks, mm. as if there's Bob Inc., the scientific theologian somewhat enthralled mm. with modernism doing his academic work, and then there's Bob Inc. of a pious Dutch Reformed tradition standing mm. in the pulpit, and that he was perhaps torn by these two commitments, one putting him between scholarship and tough-minded academia and the other between the piety of his own tradition. But you challenge that somewhat. How would you situate Bavink as both the academic and the preacher, and how do those fit together well? So Bavink thought that those things um, were very important to combine in the training of preachers. Um, so when he worked in, in camp and which was a, a seminary in effect, um, it was really important for him that theology was done to high academic standards. So in the language of the day, it was scientific theology, um, theology conducted with intellectual rigor. Um, for Bavink, that was, that was really important in how pastors were trained. So there was some pushback in his denomination when he was appointed to teach there that seminarians didn't need a scientific training in theology. They didn't need more academics. Um, they needed a more practical training, whatever that meant in its time. But Baving pushes back against this. Um, and his father, who was also quite a high-profile pastor in, in his denomination, supported him in very public ways with this as well, saying that the demands of, of their day legitimately placed really high, a really big challenge to preachers of the gospel. Um, their culture was, was rapidly de-Christianizing. Everything was shifting around them culturally. Um, you have really astounding developments in, in the natural sciences. You have all kinds of fascinating things happening in, in culture and the arts and so on. All kinds of economic shifts as well. Um, they thought that a, a preacher needed to be very well grounded in the, the church's intellectual tradition as a kind of background to being able to preach scripture well in a critically appreciative way of their own historical context. So he believed in a scholarly, educated 
preaching ministry within the church, that that was absolutely necessary, if for no other reason, but because of the complexity and the challenges of, of the culture of his day? Yeah, that's certainly one really important aspect of it, and being able to preach well, self-consciously in terms of the culture that you live in. So he thought that most of his seminarians were, were really uncritical of the culture that they came from. And to, to get them out of that, you, you have to give them a certain rigor in, in their education to help them not to take their own culture in a really uncritical way. Um, but also for Bavink, a, a huge emphasis in his formation of preachers was preachers need to engage really well with scripture. Um, they can't just read it superficially. They have to be able to exegete it well. They have to have a thorough training in hermeneutics. Um, for that, you, you do need dedicated, rigorous study as well. So in that aspect, um, this kind of scholarly bavink um, is a really important feature in how he went about training preachers. So in one of the addresses that you translated, he talks about the essence of eloquence, and that's a word that he returns to on several occasions. And he describes it this way as being argument, description, and persuasion. That seems so central to this particular address. I wonder if you could explain what he means by each of those things. So he's talking about how preachers need to preach. He boils it down to this term eloquence and then says eloquence is argument, description, persuasion. What did that look like in a sermon? Sure. I should say, though, as the backdrop to that, that what he means by eloquence is more subversive than those three points. So those three points are kind of rhetorical device. Um, for Bavink, they make a lot of sense. Um, you have to be really affected and moved by something, and that leads you to speak to other people about it, to argue in a way that's, that engages with them, and you have to be able to pers be persuasive and convincing. And then your goal in being eloquent is that the person you talk to will um, be affected by whatever has affected you as the speaker, as the preacher. There are these elements that he has as ways of uh, heuristic devices, we could say, things like argument and persuasion, but far more fundamentally in, in Bavink on how to preach and how to be eloquent. It's, it's a more subversive use of the word eloquent. It doesn't really have anything to do with, you know, can you speak in a, in a highfalutin way? Can you use grammar and use the subjunctive correctly every time? Can you give lots of references to classical literature or ancient languages? Um, for Bavink, those aren't really anything to do with what true eloquence is. True eloquence for Bavink is a particular way of living um, quorum Deo, living your whole life uh, before God's face and experiencing God um, like that in a way that opens you up as a person, uh, opens you up to God, creation in which you live, um, where you're affected by those things um, and where they really affect you to the core of your being, either because they provoke you because they're, they're great and glorious and beautiful, or you're provoked because what you, what you see around you is, is broken or corrupt. Um, and then that makes you want to speak. So it's, it's a very active way of living before God and of living in, in God's world. If you don't have that in the first place, then the kind of rhetorical devices that he lists um, won't really do anything. So for Bavik, it's, a, it's more fundamental a theology of how to be a preacher rather than how to preach. Um, so he has, a, he has a line in that chapter of the book that to speak well, you first have to exist well. You have to exist well with, before God and in the world. If you do that, then you can become truly eloquent. If you don't, then you just you have words and you have forms of grammar and it, it doesn't really make a difference. In his treatise on eloquence that is translated in this work, you mentioned that he says general eloquence is to be distinguished from verbosity. And it fits those descriptions you've given. I, I wonder what you make of how Bavink 
is actually very direct in his criticism of some well-known pulpiteers of his time. Mm. I'm thinking not only of the work at the end, a very candid estimation of preaching in the early 20th century America, but even a a section in Eloquence where he quotes, as you call it, a highfalutin passage from a sermon given by a, a known minister on the glory of the Messiah. And this is Bob Inc.'s comment on it. This is page 36 of your book. He says, well, now that is not preaching or eloquence. It is trivial flaunting of learnedness and idle prattling of words. Yeah. Solid knowledge includes rather than excludes simplicity. Learnedness um, is not wisdom. Preaching learnedly so that people do not and so that not even you yourself understand it is not an art. He's not genteel in the way he approaches this matter of eloquence as he conceives it. Mm, yeah, indeed. Yeah, the Dutch can do directness quite well, and, and Bavink can shoot from the hip with the best of them. Yeah. yeah, that's a good flavor of the sort of candor and straightforwardness that's in these different things you've translated in the book. There's something really interesting that you see in this book that I was really struck by in translating it, which is in the eloquence text, Bavink is speaking to seminarians, and they are being trained well academically in theology. When you look at Bavink's own sentences, they're really long. Grammatically, they're complex. Um, he quotes uh, in extended ways um, Greek literature, French literature. He has lots of quotes in English and in German, and he simply expects that his students will know all of this and won't need translations. But he also tells them, when you preach in the pulpit, rather than lecture in a lecture hall, um, use short sentences, be simple, be plain, like the quote you just gave, don't parade your learning, um, don't give things in other languages that people might not understand, um, talk about the, the stories of the day that people will know about, rather than ancient Greek literature. The sermon for Bavinck's leading by example shows how he preached in that regard. And it's, it's really how he taught his students to preach as well. It's, it's grammatically very simple. It's uncomplicated. The illustrations are illustrations from the politics of the day that people uh, in, his, in his congregation all would have known about. Um, you, you don't have him parading his learning. It's, it's a really beautifully simple text. And you compare it also to his dogmatics, if you're familiar with those as well. Much easier to translate. There's two texts about the same person training you how to preach, but then also putting his, his teaching into practice. It's it's really beautifully consistent. It is the only example we have of how he preached. As far as this example goes, it conforms very well to, uh, to his, own the- his own theology of how to preach. We wish we had more time. This is this is a great book. We really commend it to our listeners. And thank you for giving us uh, your time and kind of explaining some of these things today. The title of the book is Herman Bovink on Preaching and Preachers. And again, thanks for giving us your time. Thank you. Thanks very much. So, James, I want to talk a little bit about my impressions from reading the book. It's everything I said. It, it really is a helpful volume. So we loved the book, not necessarily an introductory volume. I wouldn't put this in the hands of a brand new preacher and say, this will teach you how to do it. I mean, he's right. he's operating within a context, but you brought up a good point in the interview that he has some really punchy criticisms uh, sure. and he's advocating for simplicity in preaching. I want to read another quote though, later on that I thought was very moving when he talks about the sermon in the context of the service. He says, Christianity and churches, they're just getting so busy. And he said, sitting in silence under the word, which should have been Christian strength, has fallen from their thoughts. And as I was reading this, I thought, this is the kind of book that someone should read, not just who's involved in preaching, but someone who actually wants to think about preaching and sit under preaching. He clearly believed in that. I wonder what he'd say today with all of our phones and fidgeting through the middle of the service where you have to have your cup of coffee going, your 
online. You may even be communicating with people outside of the service right. while the word is being preached. Bobbing's registering his complaint before all of this. I yes. can only imagine how exponentially horrified right. he might be at sort of our modern frenetic distractedness. And, and he's saying it in the context of making a case, interestingly enough, for having evening services. He said, you know, people are just abandoning the evening service nowadays to be busy with all kinds of other things. But this is really the source of our strength. So for me in reading it, it was helpful in terms of thinking about preaching, but it was also very profound in terms of thinking about the Christian life and how central preaching ought to be for all of us as we, you know, week by week worship the Lord. And to see that he doesn't lose sight of this, and I know sometimes it's easy to sort of pietistically say, he was a systematic theologian, but he's also still valued the important things like preaching. Right. It's not the denigration of one or the other, right. but he really sees, and even his conception of eloquence, when yep. when we think of eloquence, the way we use that word now, we might think of it as kind of a flowery, over-the-top kind of language. And he's saying just the opposite. And he's saying the opposite, that real eloquence is the stuff that actually flows from a combination of learnedness articulation promoting virtue yep. that there's this urgency you have to see these people transformed both in their thinking and in their living and that this isn't contrary to learnedness but that no. in fact in a certain sense it can't be fueled without what he calls philosophy and science but it's this idea of it can't be fueled without something in the head of the preacher right i don't know if you've ever had that experience where someone invites you to come speak somewhere and i've never had this from the alliance of confessing evangelicals of uh, but this is i'm thinking sometime in my past where someone comes and invites you just to share from your heart right my heart's not really that impressive normally. It needs to be filled with some good <laughs> content. Um, and the idea is don't give us something thoughtful or that's going to engage us mentally. Just give us something that's sort of effusive. And he's making this argument that the best way to speak from the heart now, he's not against speaking from the heart, but the best way to speak from the heart is to have the heart loaded up with a message of truth that has a kind of, yep. of urgency to get it out there. And I think the best sermons do that. They're simple, and yet there's a kind of the iceberg underneath the ocean. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it there. The book is Herman Bovink on Preaching and Preachers, and we would love to give you a copy if you're interested. Uh, you can go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link, and there's an opportunity for you to win a copy of this book, which we just discussed with the translator and editor and as always we need your feedback and if you're able to donate we would love to have your help so if you can donate you can go to placefortruth.org or alliancenet.org and click on the donate button and as always thank you for listening to theology on the go a brief interview about an eternal truth